0: Hey friends, Ashton here, and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. We have a new friend joining us today, Dr. Dan Siegel. He's just written a new book uh, entitled Aware, The Science and Practice of Presence. You may have been introduced to him or known some of his work over the years. He's written books like The Developing Mind, Parenting from the inside out, the mindful brain, mind sight, that was one of my favorite ones, um, the pocket guide to interpersonal, interpersonal neurobiology, the whole brain, brainstorm, no drama discipline um man he is a thought leader in the space of mindfulness of presence and awareness and uh, i am super excited today i told him before the call I'm, I'm showing up as a student so i am prepared to listen and take notes today and more than anything just introduce you guys uh, to dan and his work in the world so that being said dan thanks so much for joining us
1: Ashton, it's great to be here with you and all your community. Well,
0: I'll tell you what um, I am uh, I, you know I can't remember exactly when I came across your work um, but it, it's it's been really a gift to me um, to study really the science of so much of this that uh, I've had the chance to discover, discover over the last handful of years. Um, maybe for some of our listeners that haven't crossed paths with you before, how do you introduce yourself and your work in the world?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, I introduced <laughs> myself as a human being. There we go. On a, on a <laughs> common journey with, with our human family. Beautiful.
0: And you studied the brain and the mind for many, many years. How, how, how long have you been in this in this space?
1: Wow, that's such an interesting question. You know, I would say in my professional you know, work, it would be from the late 80s. So what would that make us now? Would that be 30 years now? Something like that. Hmm. So for 30 years, and then a little bit before that as a student, when I was a medical student in 1979, 1980, I, I decided to drop out of school for a while because the medical school where I was didn't really focus on the mind and connections and what really had meaning for people's lives. And when I went back, you know, I made up this word, Mindsight. So that was back in 1981. So that was a little bit longer than that, maybe almost 40 years ago now. Wow, wow.
0: So Mindsight dates back that far. Yeah, from 1980
1: or 81.
0: Beautiful. So the new book, Aware, Um, the science and practice of presence. I I always ask authors this um, when they have a new book out. Why, uh, of of everything that you could write today, why this book and why right now?
1: Yeah, you know,
0: Ashton, I think
1: we, we need presence in our lives now more than ever before for a number of very pressing reasons. I mean... The simplest one is life has just become really, really fast. You know, with a lot of the ways that the digital world of the Internet and smartphones and computers has distracted us, we need to cultivate a way to actually become more awake and more aware. So that's one reason. Another reason is, you know, the world itself is so volatile and uncertain, people call it a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And so you really wanna have an inner practice, a way of cultivating being aware that can help you in these very uncertain times. And that feeling of helplessness that comes up, that feeling of anxiety, fear sometimes, when those things take over, they make us go on this state you can call automatic pilots, the opposite of being aware. Mm. And so we need to have a practice that anyone can access from any cultural background, from any tradition that they're in, something that's very you know accessible to everyone. And that's why I've been working so hard on this, this book, this last book, Aware, is because it teaches this process called the Wheel of Awareness, which is straight from clinical practice and science. And so anyone from any religion, any contemplative tradition, any kind of background, any cultural um, place that you come from, it's accessible to you. So that's why I wrote the book Aware.
0: Beautiful. And and really the the backbone of this book is the wheel of awareness. Um, And I'm definitely going to show a picture of this in our show notes. Um, But kind of, lead us to the river on this. Hold, hold our hands a little bit on exactly what we're talking about on this wheel of awareness. That is this great tool that allows us to, and I, and I think you say this in the book, it allows us to receive the moment, um, where we can respond to the moment instead of react to the moment, if you will. Um, I, hold my hand on, on really the essence of uh, the wheel of awareness.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, the Wheel of Awareness is a practice that, you know, you can do it, and we'll talk about the details up in just a moment, but you can do it in a church. So Ed Bacon is the former pastor of the All Saints Church here in Los Angeles, and, you know, twice we filled up his church with um, his congregants where we were doing the Wheel of Awareness practice to teach them how to develop a more resilient mind, um, I was just actually with Ed on a, on a pilgrimage hmm. where we did the wheel with members of all different religions, 50 of us Beautiful. went and we did the practice in this uh, forest called the Pando Populus Forest where there's, uh, anyway, there's a whole thing going on there about the interconnectivity of life. So with Ed Bacon, it was really clear, you know, that you could reach out across different religions, um, recently, I was honoring my dear friend, a former Catholic priest, John O'Donohue.
0: Oh my goodness! I, when when I when I knew that you had crossed with passed with John O'Donohue before, I was like, I gotta talk to Dan.
1: <laughs> wow, wow! Well, John and I were uh, were close friends. We used to call each other twins, and wow. we were writing a book together when he suddenly passed. And mm-hmm. you know, we it's been ten years, and so we had a big honoring of him, and the president of Ireland, President Higgins, came and. Many of John's former uh, Catholic priest friends were there, and um, so it was a very, you know, solemn and also celebratory time. We were celebrating John's life. But I did the Wheel of Awareness there, and it was beautiful to see how it tied into all sorts of religious settings. Mm-hmm. And so as I share what the wheel is, you'll see that it's really coming from two scientific ideas. One is that a process called integration, which means different things being linked. That's what integration means. That's the basis of well-being. And the second idea was that being aware, being conscious is needed for intentional change. And then I just thought with my patients here in the office, gosh, what if you integrated consciousness? Hmm. What would that look like? So I brought people around a table we have here, which has a glass center on the tabletop and an outer wooden rim, if you will, and when you look through the glass, you can see kind of the, the sand of the table looks like a spoke of a wheel. So we, we didn't want to call it the table of awareness, but we called it the wheel of awareness. And basically, if you're gonna integrate consciousness, this is what you do. You say, well, what is consciousness? And I would say to my patients, consciousness is the subjective experience of knowing. Like if I say, hello, Ashton, you both know I said hello, but then there's the known of the sound hello. Right. So when you differentiate the knowing from the known, you can do this visually. We did this around the table, but you can just do it in your mind's eye. You put the knowing in the hub. You put the knowns on the rim, and then you systematically differentiate. You make them different or distinguish them. You discern them uh, by moving the spoke around like to hearing, to sight smell to taste to touch. You then move the spoke to the second segment of the rim. That's the interior sensations of the body, like your muscles and bones or how your heart feels. You move it over a third time to the segment that is your mental activities, this third segment. And then you can even explore by bending the spoke around the hub itself to experience awareness of awareness. And then you straighten the spoke out, move it over to the fourth segment, which is your sense of interconnection. That can be mm. to other people to nature, to God, whatever whatever um, sense of connection emerges, you open up to that sense. So that's basically the practice. It's very simple. It's a practice for adults or adolescents. For young kids, they just use it as a drawing.
0: Beautiful. And I, and I think you had a great example in the book uh, of even a young child that used this uh, at his elementary school. You want to share that?
1: Yeah, Billy was a a five-year-old boy at the time, and his kindergarten teacher wrote me the following email. She said that Billy had been expelled from one school for beating up a child on the yard. She was transferred to the new school and came into her kindergarten classroom. Everyone in her class learns the wheel of awareness as an idea. So these are just five-year-olds, so they don't do like a reflective practice or anything. They just... Learn it as a drawing. You Mm -hmm. know about stuff in the hub. What you know about is on the rim, and you can be in charge of where your spoke of attention goes. And that's it. So she writes me an email that on the second day, Billy comes into her during the recess and says, Miss Smith, Miss Smith, you've got to give me a break. Joey took my block out on the yard and about to hit him. I'm lost on my rim. i got to get back to my hub. Wow. Wow. Five years old. Amazing. And so we teach this in schools. And, you know, Oliver Wendell Holmes has a quote that I put in the beginning of the book, Aware, you know, it's a mind that's stretched to a new idea does not return to its original dimension. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And Billy's mind was stretched to the idea that in the hub of his wheel of awareness, he has the opportunity for choice and change because he can pause between an impulse and an action. And when he's in that hub and he asked Ms. Smith to give him a little break so he can get back there, when you cultivate the hub of your wheel, this aspect of your mind we're just going to call being present, then you're not on automatic pilot anymore. Old habits, like in his case, hitting people could be not follow through and he could choose a different path.
0: Hmm. Is this what you mean by expanding the container? Like, is that, is that what's happening in that moment when, when the, the, the space grows from where we typically would just react to where we actually give our space time to respond. Help me with that idea of expanding the container.
1: Well, Ashton, that's exactly the idea. You know, if you think about the analogy of um, a container, if your hub, the container of awareness, is the size of an espresso cup, (laughs) and life dishes out a challenge. In Billy's case, it was Joey taking his blocks. But we all have challenges in life. And let's compare a challenge to a tablespoon of salt. So if you dump a tablespoon of salt into a very small container of water, like an espresso cup size, really small, well, that water is too salty to drink. It puckers your mouth up and you literally can't process that salt water. So if you do a practice like the Wheel of Awareness that expands the hub, makes it so the container of water of consciousness of being aware is now, let's say, 100 gallons And you put in that same life challenge of a tablespoon of salt, and we stir it up in this 100 gallon volume of water. Well, what does that taste like now?
0: Just dissolves away.
1: Just dissolves away, and it's fresh water. So that's what we want to do for each other. We want to help each other, you know, expand the container of consciousness, which is basically being more aware by cultivating this wheel of awareness practice and learning to build the hub of your mind. And when you do that, just like Billy, then if, let's say, something irritating happens, like someone takes your blocks or the equivalent for an adult, you know, instead of impulsively hitting the person because you, your awareness was filled with the salty impulse and you just couldn't do anything but that, now you have this expanded container of awareness. The same challenge comes at you. You experience resilience because you're not going on automatic pilot. You're making other choices. And that's, that's the amazing thing about the wheel is that it's a science-built practice. You can visualize it. This is also cool. I'm so happy my daughter put in the drawings for the book. She's a great artist, and people just can see the drawings. And even if you just draw it yourself, you know, you've got this hub, you got the rim, and you realize right now I'm feeling this or having this impulse, or I'm thinking that. You go, those are just rim points. Hmm. Let me drop into my hub and realize there are other options I have of where to direct my attention. That's good. That's good.
0: Yeah. Just just giving yourself those permissions to name the knowns seems like it allows the container to expand. Um, exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. That's so, so good. For, for some of our listeners that maybe um, are hearing this conversation between you and I, and they're like, I've. I've never done anything in the contemplative space. I've never sat still and done these meditation-like practices or this wheel of awareness. <clears throat> where, where, do you, where do you encourage one to begin? Is this a, how, how do you tiptoe into this? Because I think until you begin the practice, you don't, you don't understand how to trust it, how to lean into it, and how beneficial it is on a daily basis to expand that container.
1: Yeah. Well, those are great questions, Ashton. So I guess the first thing I would say for people joining us is that, you know, you want to know why you're doing something in life and what it's all about. So the first thing to say is that um, when you look at the carefully done studies of practices, for example, that help you focus your attention or open up your awareness or develop kindness as an intentional state, you know, those studies are very clear. They are going to strengthen the connections in your brain, which are called integrative connections, to make your brain more nimble and resilient. So literally, doing the practices we're about to talk about will strengthen the anatomy of your brain, which is just incredible news so that's the first thing second thing is that there are a bunch of physiological that is stuff in your body um factors about health that when you hear them you'll say well what's the vitamin i need to take to achieve those results and it's it's actually not a vitamin Mm -hmm. it's it's actually just a regular practice so if you think about like brushing your teeth if you take the time every day to brush your teeth, and Ashton, do you do that?
0: Yes, sir, I do. Thank you.
1: Okay, and I do too. And you know, there was a time when no one brushed their teeth, right? and our teeth rotted. And we didn't know. You've got to take a brush and kind of brush up all those bacteria and disturb them so they don't just sit there and rot your teeth. Well, we just do it now regularly as a habit. Well, what we're about to talk about can become the same kind of daily hygiene practice that you would take for your dental hygiene, you would take for your mental, neurological, and even physiological hygiene. That's a good word. You know, so, so when people say, well, my gosh, how can I ever make it a habit? Well, if you have a habit of brushing your teeth, then you can make this a habit.
0: Right. And you, you know? and I think in the book you write, where attention goes, neural firing flows, and neural connection grows. Exactly. And that's
1: the secret sauce, you know, is that... What you do with your mind, that's where attention goes, gets your brain to fire in particular ways. It means you know, when you're building attention, when you're opening awareness, when you're cultivating kind intention, those are the three things we're going to talk about. Those three things actually build particular regions of the brain Mm. that are good for your well-being. And these five factors of health, here's what they are. And I'm not making this up. This is from... Some of the most rigorous research, one branch of it, for example, was carried out by the Nobel Prize-winning Elizabeth Blackburn and her colleague, Alyssa Eppel. And they were able to show, for example, that when you develop presence, when you're aware of what's happening as it's happening, when you're able basically to rest in the hub of your wheel and be open to whatever's going on, then you actually optimize the level of an enzyme, it's a molecule, in your body, that's gonna repair and maintain the ends of your chromosomes. And your chromosomes are basically those long strands of of genetic material that help you uh, function well in life, help your cells work well. And if you think about a a shoe, you know, has a a shoe with laces, has that little cap on the lace. Well, the caps on your chromosomes also keep your chromosomes, these like long strings essentially of genetic material, They keep them intact and healthy, just like the cat keeps your shoelace intact and healthy. And the difference is when your cells are healthy, you're healthy. So this is the secret. Being present, which you can cultivate with these practices like the Wheel of Awareness, allow you to optimize the enzyme that's gonna repair and maintain the ends of your chromosomes. And what that means is it keeps your cells healthier And it keeps you not only healthier, but it slows the aging process.
0: Wow. When I read those in the book, those five, six things, it's like, it's mind-blowing, really. When you you think about this, that developing, and I love how you just, when you said presence, you said being aware of what's happening as it's happening. Um, Just cultivating these practices literally slows the aging process.
1: So the aging process, it's going to reduce inflammation in right. your body, which yep. can cause all sorts of diseases, yep. optimize the immune system functioning, optimize cardiovascular function, you know, your heart, lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol levels, for example. And it's going to actually reduce stress. So it's, it's like a win, win, win. <laughs>
0: it's a win, win, win. It's a, it's a win between you and me. It's a win between the world, a win between the yeah. earth and me. I mean, it's this university of thinking.
1: I know, it's amazing, and, and here's the thing, I think, that is a mind-blowing finding, and this is now straight just from science, what you do with your mind, like doing the Wheel of Awareness practice, because it has these three pillars of focusing attention, opening awareness, and cultivating kind attention, those are the ones that are studied yeah. individually, yeah. so in the Wheel, they're just all in one practice, but when you do these three-pillar practices, you're actually using your mind to change the structure of your brain in a positive way and improve the molecules of health in your body. Wow.
0: And my assumption is, if we haven't been taught these practices, then the neuropathways that we develop decade over decade over decade just get more grooved in, and pardon my terrible scientific language, um, no, that's, a good, that's a good term. But they, they become more concrete, and I would bet that it's harder to reverse that the longer that type of over-obsessive, you know, type of thinking happens.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's true. The um, the the longer something's there, the more challenging it is to change, but I've worked with people in their 90s, beautiful, you know, where if they thought it was going to take, you know, another 90 years to change it, of course, <laughs> they wouldn't really even give it a try but that's that's the beautiful thing about this thing called neuroplasticity neuro just means the connections in the brain the neurons plasticity just means how experience changes something Mm -hmm. so what the studies on neuroplasticity show is that if you stream energy through the brain in particular ways so where attention goes neural firing flows here's what we now know is that neural connections will grow based on where you got neural firing to flow and how you do that is with your mind in a disciplined way where what I mean by discipline is you do a regular practice like the wheel and you get the three pillars in there. You're going to be cultivating focused attention, building those circuits. Mm. You're going to open up awareness, which makes the brain more integrated. You're going to cultivate kind intention, which is creating all these positive physiological changes inside of you it's bringing love and kindness into your life. So what is so uh, absolutely exciting about this is this doesn't cost you anything. Right. <laughs> you don't even have to buy a toothbrush, and <laughs> toothpaste. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's, this is why it's so important that any of us just interested in public well-being mm-hmm. realize there is not going to be like a financial reward that comes to someone selling you a product, where they put a lot of money into advertising this. This is empowering you to bring health into your life without a single gadget.
0: Which almost makes it so hard to convey in, in the world that we live in. You know, I know. Well, where that's why doing where... what
1: you're doing is so important, <laughs> actually, because you know. And this is why I really think of it kind of like candlelight. Mm. Our task in life is to realize okay, yeah, we are the waxy candle, that's our body, but really we are also the light beyond the wax alone. We've got to light up this world by empowering people to bring more health, mm. more connection, more meaning, more love into their lives. Yeah, yeah.
0: The one consistent trait of um, my days when I enter into um, these practices. And, and compared to the days when i don't is i lose that oneness yeah i i, I lose that um as you as you said you know the human family uh, there's division separation but but when i am present when i'm aware of what's happening as it's happening um you really do just feel this really really beautiful it's like a i don't know panoramic view of the world that's um it's so beautiful. I mean, beautiful is really the only word I can I can give to it.
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell you, it's so so beautiful. I'll repeat the word beautiful there. That you're saying that because um, I just came from a kind of a, a it was a interesting thing in something called the Way of Nature, but it was basically where we go alone for three days into a very sacred kind of natural forested place, Whoa. and um, you know, they call it solo time, where you might think you're alone, A L O N E, but they call it solo all one time. Mm. By just adding an extra L into the word alone, it actually becomes all one. That's so good. Isn't it? That cool?
0: <laughs> That's so I good. Learned that, I learned
1: it on my my pilgrimage up there. And, um, you know, what was so beautiful about it is it, it, it you could experience it mm-hmm. becoming connected to everything. And, mm-hmm. Just before that, I had literally been on this Pando pilgrimage I was mentioning with Ed Bacon and 50 other people, and this is where you have these, this one tree called Pandopopulus. It's a quaking aspen way up in Utah, and uh, there are 4,700 you know, seemingly separate trees, right? Yep. But it's all one tree.
0: One organism. It's just
1: six inches beneath the surface of the soil. It, you can find the one root ball from which this one tree is just manifesting its 4,700 trunks. Now, when you look at it that way, you realize it's an incredible icon, Pando Pilgrimage, to let us see that this tree represents exactly the reality of our interconnected nature, mm-hmm. you know, and that when you, um, when you start to live like that, which doing the Wheel of Awareness as a regular practice, like you're suggesting, it allows you to tap into what comes from the hub, really, this reality that we are profoundly interconnected, only modern life tends to give us all sorts of messages that we're actually not that way, and we, right. we fall into the illusion, which, which actually Albert Einstein called a delusion, of our separateness. So we only see what's above that surface of the soil. And we come to believe that we're actually separate.
0: Mm-hmm. So this is a perfect place to enter into uh, another one of your words. Mui. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love this. Uh, M-W-E. Mui, And so, um, Help our listeners understand this idea that, that the invitation of integration, I think, um, is to kindness and compassion, and maybe it begins with ourselves, and it's something that we can, you know, entrust to the rest of the world we engage with. Um, uh, I'll let you walk with this idea of we, because I think it's so, so significant, uh, and, I'd, and I'd just love to hear you chat on it.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, the issue is that we have these linguistic terms that sometimes trap us. So let's take the word me uh, or I, you know, what exactly are you? And there's another word, but it's like there's me, there's you. Let's stay with that word me. Now, if you think that me is all you are, then what you live with, with in our contemporary culture is something that says that, okay, well, me is my body. Or some people point to their head, they go, me is my brain. And then they say something like, my mind comes from my brain or something. And then they think that they're a solo self, a separate self. And what struck me was, many years ago, it was that that view is so common Yet, it's probably inaccurate
0: Hmm.
1: that we are as much, yes, our bodily experience, including our brain, but we are also our relationships. Now, that could be a relationship with another person, or it could be a relationship with your family, or your friends, or with nature, or with God, whatever is your connectivity in this deeply interconnected reality we have, where literally... Your identity is more than me. So then you say, well, let's just call that we. So there was a time when I just started giving these lectures called me to we. And it seemed like it kind of rhymed. It was kind of cute and everything like that. And one of my online students who was there in an in-person workshop, she came up to me at the break. And she said, Dan, I am really, really angry with you. (laughs) I said, okay, well, what are you angry about? She goes, I'm disappointed in the title of this talk. I said, what do you what, what do you mean, me to we? She goes, yeah, me to we, that's so not right. It's not what you've been teaching. Mm. I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, you said it's important to know our history. I said, absolutely. She goes, well, that's me. I said, sure, that's you. She goes, you said we should sleep well and take care of our body by feeding it well and exercising and stretching and enjoying the body and that we have a bodily identity with a history. I said, absolutely. She goes, that's me. I said, of course that's you. She said, well, look at the title of your talk. You're saying me to we implies getting rid of me and turning only to we.
0: Hmm.
1: And I said, you know something, you're absolutely right. And I totally understand your anger and your disappointment. She goes, well, come up with something else. So I said, well, what do you (laughs) want to come up with? She goes, something else. I said, okay, how about this? not only limited to a me, but also embracing the reality of a we. And she looks at me with these disappointed eyes, and she said, that doesn't work. I said, okay, okay. If the whole idea is integration, where something's got to be differentiating from something else, and then you honor the differentiated elements, but then you link them, then maybe if we take me and take we and put them together, what if it were like, um, what if it were like, oh, oh, How about this? I said to her, I said, what if it's a MWE, MWE? And then her eyes lit up. She said, that's it. That's it. And so ever since then, this is a while ago now, you know, I've been inviting people to consider in English, and we do this in different languages too, what does it mean to integrate a bodily self and a relational self? Hmm. The me plus the we equals a MWE. And what's been so fascinating, Ashton, is that there's a relief people get when they take on this new word, whatever language it's in. And I think that relief is that we've been living a lie of a separate self. And it is so embedded in our culture that we just don't see it. Mm -hmm. And so part of the mission I think we, we need to be on to help one another is to realize that who we are as an integrated identity, is a Mui. And that together, Mui can make this a kinder and more compassionate world as Mui. And that has been just incredibly moving to see how people respond to that.
0: Well, that's non-dual consciousness 101, right? Yeah. That is, uh, uh, from from creating Mui is that third way, moving out of you know, the dualistic way of approaching it. I can see how she brought that to you, and I just love what a gift that idea is. Um, and I and I can see it does lighten the load a bit.
1: You can feel it. I mean, mm-hmm. you can feel it, and, you know, it's exactly parallel to the analogy of the candle, you know, that, yes, we have a body that's the me, that's the wax, but, yes, we have relationships, and that's the flame. Mm-hmm. And the Mui allows you to have both, honoring both. You get about 100 right. years to live in your waxy body, but you are more than your body. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think one of your teachings I watched online, you kind of used the hydrogen and oxygen metaphors. Oh, yeah, yeah. And said, you know, if these two stayed separate, we would never know what water is. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah, how
1: was that for you? Because that, that was, a, you know, for the listeners, I'll just say that, you know, I was wondering how do you convey to people? These were to a bunch of uh, technology people the importance of our relationships. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, wa- that's where water came to mind and said, you know, if you only we're going to focus on the hydrogen of H two O or the oxygen of H two O, you'd never have the single molecules that right. could then interact with other molecules. So you have the beautiful seas. That's right. And you know, so. Yeah, you know, it's no
0: different. I mean, think about music. What would what would happen if all of those instruments were just their own instrument and they never came together? Oh, that, that's beautiful. You know, yeah. relationship. Um, yeah, the building blocks of the universe with atoms circling together. It's of course if we're finding it there, of course it has to be the same in us. Um, you know, it's so
1: interesting you say it about music because my son is a musician, Alex Siegel, and when he does his stuff I hear exactly what you're saying. I hear this incredible. Hmm. It's really spiritual, really. I mean, has meaning and connection and a deep sense of, I don't know, magic that emerges from it. When, when whether he's playing by himself with different instruments or with his band, you know, you get a, a feeling of honoring the magic of things emerging because the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo! Ah,
0: huh. I could do this all day with you, Dan. This too too well, much fun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're it's great to be a we with you. You know, <laughs> I do believe. I, I mean, this is. I mean, it's fun and it's funny and it's serious too. I do believe if we start getting people all around contemporary culture from all different religions and cultural backgrounds to realize the we nature of an integrated identity, mm-hmm. then people will break free of this separate self yep. way that we've been encouraging young children to live, adolescents to live, and it's leading to a, a sense of disconnection and meaninglessness, right. yep. which isn't good for anybody. No. So, you know, the good news is, we're talking about a shift in awareness, like we for example, from me to we. Uh, or a shift in expanding that espresso cup size mm. to a big hub of your wheel. You know?
0: Yeah.
1: And that doesn't we're not trying to sell anybody any goods. We're not trying That's to right. have some kind of, you know, whatever, sell widgets. You know, we're saying people can be empowered to shift their perspective of mm. who they are, not get rid of who they are, but expand who they are, yeah. not get rid of the wax, but realize you're also the flame. And think about what an illuminated world together we can make. Yeah.
0: Let's go. That's what I'm talking about. I think one of the, I almost quote this on every interview right now, because for some reason the road leads here. I interviewed Mark Nepo earlier this summer. And Mm -hmm. um, he just, he just, he was firing wisdom over and over. And he just said, you know, Ashton, at the end of the day, the further I can go into you, I can find me. And the further I can go into myself, I can find you. And uh I mean that that is like the sentence of my summer of twenty eighteen. Um yeah, beautiful. And, and that has uh, yeah, such a beautiful thought, but really gives some handlebars to that Mui conversation. This is this is a place I'm a little confused. So I'm a, I figured I can show up as a student and, and ask this question. You you wrote about the mind is way way more of a verb than a noun. Yeah. And I think I think I've got it, but I need I, I, I'm I need you to kind of hold my hand on this because I think the best way to explain that is well the brain can be a noun, but but the mind is a different thing. And maybe I'm off on that, but help me. Help me understand what you're getting at there.
1: Yeah, well, the idea is that, um, I mean, let's go to the wax uh, and flame analogy, right? So on, on a very um, initial level, you look at this whole setup, you see a candle, and that candle, the wax of the candle, sure, it's a wax and a wick, and it's sitting there in a candle holder, and you would call it a noun. Right? It's a candle. But the flame is a verb. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's yep. energy being released That's and flowing. Right? So it's this same way that, sure, there's a, a bodily experience you have. Your, your body has nouns as skeletal features and organs and that we call nouns. But you are as much a noun as you are a verb. That mm-hmm. is, you are a process. Yeah. Now, when it comes to the mind itself, you know, we do have a body for sure. No question about it. But the way we light up each other's lives, that's a process. Mm. And you can't own it. You can't put it in a box. You can't say that it's mine, not yours. It's something we share and bring into the world, just like the flame brings the light. And so this is what I mean by a verb. And you know, when things are hard, you want to cling on to things as nouns and say that you own them or you can understand them or you say they're this size or that weight or whatever. So you really want to be able to grasp a noun. But if you try to make the mind into a noun, it just doesn't work. Mm. And it's just like snuffing out the flame of the candle and saying, I only want this candle to be wax. I don't want to deal with this verb-like flame. Mm. And so... That's what I mean. You know, I think a lot happens in modern culture to make us frightened, to make us wanna think there's something fixed and noun-like about our identity. So we say we're just the wax, just the wax, just the wax. And And people living like that, they may initially get a feeling of safety because they can predict everything, but soon they come to feel a kind of sense of meaninglessness, yeah. of disconnection, And I think, actually, a lot of the, um, it's sad to say, but a lot of the anxiety and depression and even suicide that we're seeing rise in our youth is because so many factors in contemporary culture are telling them to live a noun-like existence, like Mm. pairing, you know, how they think their life should go to the curated photographs people put on social media that make them feel inadequate, you know? And nobody's life is as good as their social media platform makes them look like it is. And so a child who's growing up thinking I'm just a me, and then they look on these uh, digital uh, environments and feel that they're not enough,
0: Hmm. you know,
1: gets anxious and gets depressed and says, what's the point of living? And so, you know, sometimes, and I don't mean to be so serious about it, but I think this issue of... Ver The verb-like nature of who we are, of the mind, is more than just some kind of philosophical or scientific or clinical statement. It's actually all about the well-being of people. Because the more we live like, uh, I'm only a noun, and I've got to set up my noun-like photographs that capture the experience I had last weekend at the party and look how happy I am. And look how many friends I have, I have, you know, that's a number I've got this hundred number of whatever, all that stuff is noun, like
0: Hmm. illusion
1: Hmm. that makes you feel bad.
0: I mean, that was just a massive dot connection for me over identification with our individual nounness. I'm a doctor, I'm a realtor, I'm a psychiatrist, I'm a mom, I'm a dad can be one of the things that actually weighs us down with depression and anxiety if we aren't interacting with the verb side of ourselves. Exactly. Wow. Man, that's huge. It's huge. I wish I had a bell to ring. I'm like,
1: ding, 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 ding. (laughs) (laughs) No, exactly. Because here's the thing. You know, we can understand in troubled times you want something you can hold in your hand, like a noun
0: hmm.
1: So 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 there's lots of hidden, you know, pressures that we can really, you know, relate to, respect and see. But we've got to go past those because just because we're in this kind of reactive defend this, defended stance of I want everything to be a noun doesn't mean everything is a noun, mm-hmm. you know. And so you really want to open things up. And, and part of it is just talk about the word relationships. You know relationships are verbs
0: right yeah
1: you know and so what's the best predictor of our medical health mental health happiness and even how long we live it's our social networks of support it's the verb like relationships hmm. that keep us healthy and living long. well wow. man
0: and so the wheel of awareness I, I, I take it to bring this full circle The wheel of awareness should slowly begin to introduce people to their verbness, correct?
1: Exactly. Because you do the wheel every day like I do. When you do it on a regular basis, you start getting these shiny teeth as if you're brushing your teeth. You get this shiny mind that Mm. starts becoming more clearly aware of the beautiful, beautiful, fluid nature of our interconnectivity the really fascinating opportunity it is to be alive on this planet. The incredible privilege it is to help others find a kind of truth and well-being in their lives. And it's just like this—I don't know. It's well, it integrates your consciousness, so it's—it's it's creating this sense of well-being and literally in your body, actual well-being <laughs> and longevity. So it's like this win-win-win thing all around. We've been talking about and. Um, I'm just so thrilled to share the wheel with you, and you know, with the book aware, it's it's uh, lays it out. So yes, people can go to our website and do the wheel, and that's great. They can start it immediately. Uh, if they want to really do it systematically, the book just gives you a way of really making sure you're learning in a very uh, supported way how to do the wheel of awareness practice.
0: Beautiful. So drdansiegel.com is your website. Um, I see that you've got engagements all over the country, all over the world, actually. Um, I saw one at 1440. Oh my goodness. I want to go to that. Um, Oh, please do. (laughs) That was like, golly, that looks amazing. Um, I I sure have enjoyed this. I really, really hope we can cross paths again. Um, Because I really want to talk some John O'Donohue with you one day. Oh, let's do
1: that. That would be wonderful. You know, he has a new book out, Pastors of Wonder, and we could do a whole thing on that. that would oh, be great. man,
0: I will take you up on that. Um, before we go, I ask all of our uh, people that, that get to come on here and share their insights and discoveries and wisdom. Um, for our listeners out there, they're all over the map, moms, dads, entrepreneurs, pastors, chefs, you name it. Uh, as I told you before the call, we're a crockpot of humans here. Um, but I always ask people this: What what advice would you give to your younger self?
1: Well, uh, what advice would I give my younger self? I would say really check in with your internal compass and trust it. You know, and you'll get you'll get so many messages from the outside world and uh, the world media and stuff but you know really draw on and build on that internal guide that will set you on a good course
0: Hmm. you just have to listen
1: just have to listen to it absolutely beautiful
0: Hey, before you go, don't forget to hit subscribe right there on your phone. That's probably where you're listening. Uh, And if you enjoyed this, would you mind leaving us a review? One of the things that we're wanting to do is get this information out to as many people as we can. And we are finding that uh, when people leave good, true, and beautiful reviews, uh, that helps us get this information out more and more to people all across the world. I do not take it lightly uh, that you invite me to ride shotgun with you in your car, Uh, You allow these conversations to be a part of your jogs. You allow these conversations to be a part of the communities and families and businesses that you've been entrusted. Uh, I do not take that lightly at all, and I am thrilled uh, that you have joined us here at this table, at this conversation. There's always a seat left. There's always room for more, Uh, and we are just so grateful for you guys joining us here at Good, True, and Beautiful. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid. Listen to the bluebirds sing and be love